What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a special off-season edition of Broncos Blitz, a Mile High Sports podcast. I'm Cody Rourke, Broncos reporter for Mile High Sports, joined alongside by my good friend Swipa, our Denver sports analyst at Mile High Sports as well. We'll break it down, all things going on with the Denver Broncos. There's some intriguing topics right now, so thank you for joining us, listening to us, watching us on YouTube as well. Swipa, I'm excited to break all this stuff down, and just a reminder, folks, as we get into the season, as we get into training camp, Swipe and I are going to be doing a weekly show here on Mile High Sports. So with that said, Swipe, let's waste no time here. There's a major topic of conversation going on right now in Broncos country surrounding Jerry Judy. And there's a lot of questions surrounding whether or not the Broncos are seriously looking to trade him. Should the Broncos trade Jerry Judy? This is my question to you, and I can't wait to dive deeper into this with you and everybody in Broncos country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good, good question. Um, a lot of stuff happening. First off, shout out to Broncos country. Um, you know, there's been a lot of off-season news so far, and we get to this portion where a lot of names are on the trade wire. But, man, I'm not going to lie to you, Cody. I think the thing with Jerry is there's been so much, I think, smoke around Jerry's name and his game and how good he actually is. I think a lot of people, they see the talent. They see him coming out of Alabama. They see the first-round pick. They've seen highlights, but they've seen injuries and such as well. So it seems like there's a lot of narratives surrounding Jerry Judy that honestly don't all that seem fair and or accurate to how good he's actually been for the Denver Broncos over the last three seasons. No, I was spot on. The number one thing I see all the time, it, it drives me nuts because, you know, I love social media. I love interacting with everybody in Broncos country. I think Broncos fans have a very unique insight into a lot of things. They're obviously very passionate about the team that they root for, but Often at times, and this is a huge issue, I think is deeply rooted in media itself. I think media has created this problem. Media has created these low-hanging fruit talking points that people, you know, they say the wrong things or, you know, they're obviously like the antagonist. They say a lot of the negative stuff, the clickbait, hot take stuff to get people pissed off. And they grab onto it and they hold onto it as if it is the gospel. And one of those narratives is that I still see to this day. Well, Jerry Judy, he struggles with drops. Folks. This was a narrative that I think was true his rookie season. It hasn't been the case in his second year. It wasn't the case in his third year last year. This is a big upcoming season for Jerry. He's emerged as their best playmaker on the offensive side of the ball, but yet we still see these narratives to try to justify, okay, hey, Denver should send him off because he struggles with drops. That has not been the case. He didn't even lead the team in drops in 2022. Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of this goes down to people are disappointed with the Broncos offense and they're looking for people to blame it on. So because we've changed quarterbacks so often, it's now moved to, well, who's been a consistent person there? Cortland's been out because of injuries. We haven't been able to say much about him. Tim Patrick missed an entire season with an ACL injury. Well, here's supposed to be our superstar, deep threat, shallow crosser out bubble screen player. And he doesn't seem to be equaling to stats and production with wins. So I think a lot of people are looking for someone to blame when, in fact, Jerry Judy has been the best part of your offense for the better part of two seasons on top of the fact you dealt with significant injuries to Javante Williams. You got Russell Wilson, who regressed last season. Nathaniel Hackett's his offense was averaging at one point in time 14 points a game. 14. But somehow Jerry by himself is supposed to be the solvent to fix all of that. And so, again, everything is about situation. If Jerry Judy was drafted into a healthy offense with a healthy quarterback and a healthy offensive scheme, do you think 
that his numbers would look like they looked. And again, if we're just talking, his rookie year, he had 856 yards receiving. So he started off really well, very well for a rookie. And then the next year, because of injury, he goes to 467. And people really act like Jerry Judy didn't have a 1,000 all-purpose yards last year. So that's what I mean, too, is like our people are pretending like he's never even gotten to that, that, that mark before. And they're talking about him as if he's been a complete bust in his career. Well, the thing that frustrates me, and, and I'm going to speak specifically to last season, right? That's the most recent season. That week one game against Seattle, we see Jerry Judy utilize his speed on a 67-yard touchdown, and then the offense couldn't – they didn't go back to him. I think he only had four catches in that game for over 100 yards. And then throughout like maybe like week four, week five, week six, you look at some of these other weeks kind of where things were really bad for Denver really after that Colts game, and it's like – Jerry Judy wasn't even targeted. He was like hardly utilized. They hardly looked his way. They hardly designed plays to get him open. And everyone's like, oh, mad at Jerry Judy. It's like Jerry's out there getting open. He's running routes. And it's like quarterbacks have to find him. The offense has to design a game plan. And I could tell you this, Swipe, uh, speaking of multiple players at the end of last season, under Nathaniel Hackett, there really was no set game plan, no true identity for this offense. And, and going back and watching, it's clear as day. Then you go to the Tennessee Titans game. Very first play. He gets his ankle stepped on while trying to uh, break on a post pattern by the safety, just steps on the higher part of his ankle. You, we thought he like suffered a major injury at that point. He goes down. He came back without like being 100% ready in that Baltimore game. I think he had like four catches over 60-something yards in that game in a limited capacity. And then when Jerry Rosberg took over, they started just giving Jerry the ball. The whole game plan was we're going to run the football and we're going to get Jerry Judy the football. And that's exactly what they did. And he went on a monstrous tear, obviously right. had some momentum in that first Kansas City Chiefs game, three touchdowns, and it really accelerated things. But when you look at the tape, nobody can really guard Jerry Judy one-on-one. -on -one. And, and when you move him around, great things happen. And I want to reference this swipe, but what I mean by this, and you know this as well, Jerry is the most dangerous man on the field for the Broncos offense. He is their best offensive player by far. It's not even close. What I what supports that that one Chiefs game, you know, the second game uh, before the end of the regular season at Arrowhead Stadium, Jerry Judy was the most feared man on that field to the point where when he was lined up, let's say on the left side, and he ran like a deep dig or a post route, the safety cheated up to wherever he was coming across, and that left Albert Okwebun on wide open for a touchdown. Bang! There you go. That's offensive right. creation right there. The the regular season finale against the Los Angeles Chargers. Same exact thing. You run a deep dig route, and you have Cortland Sutton running a post pattern as well. Safety cheats up on Jerry. Cortland's wide open. Touchdown. Broncos win that game 31-28. When you move guys around versus just keeping them in one spot, you open up not only opportunities for that player, but you open up opportunities for everybody else on the offense. You create things, and Denver simply hasn't had that. It's wild to see that the offense had more production in the final two games of the season with Jerry Rosberg and Justin Nauten calling plays than they did in the first five weeks of the Broncos regular season. To me, that is wild. Right. Yeah, and I think, again, you know, we have this, this terminology in basketball we call gravity. And, again, you think of gravity, you think of players like Tyreek Hill, even in his payday, Michael Thomas, you think of Devontae Adams, you think of players like Justin Jefferson. If you're in a situation where you have an elite-level route runner, a speed demon, or somebody that's just an insane-level deep threat like a Randy Moss, that player makes the entire offense better because the defense has to build a scheme that keeps that player from burning you every single snap. Jerry is that player for the Denver Broncos. But the thing is, 
my whole thing with this is if you want to see what the Denver offense would look like without Jerry Judy, with Cortland Sutton and Patrick, again, good players, but these are not the kind of players that the, the defense is going to be building their scheme around to say, like, all right, bet, well, we got to worry about KJ Hamler and the rest of them. That's just not how it works. So if you have an elite level route runner who can get by almost anybody and then he can open up a zone for you. And then if you do shift man coverage his way, it creates those booked opportunities, creates those deep ball opportunities. Even again, it screens, whatever you want to do. Jerry just optimizes what an offense wants to do. And so for me, I think that there are some Browns fans that are down on Jerry because they also have this perception and narrative in their mind when they're considering this trade. But if you put Jerry Judy next to Deshaun Watson in year two of that offense, and then also on top of that, having Amari Cooper on the other side, then you're going to see a completely different version of him because you're going to have the most talent he's ever had around him. Yeah, no, and, and there's one more narrative I want to challenge about Jerry Judy that just drives me nuts because it's from people who have never interacted with Jerry who have never seen him. There's a narrative that Jerry Judy is a locker room cancer. I can tell you this by being in the locker room every day, Swiper, talking to Jerry Judy. That's the furthest from the truth. He's one of the best personalities in that locker room, one of the funniest guys, most engaging dudes, loves football. And, I mean, he's got a chip on his shoulder. You can see the way that he plays the game. So there's a narrative out there. He's a bad teammate. I can tell you all his teammates love him. Haven't been able to get to know Jerry this year. This is a guy who puts in a lot of work, swipe up behind the scenes, you know, away from everything. I think everyone, as you mentioned, the offense has been so bad, everybody wants to point their finger somewhere. Players aren't allowed to show frustration, right? That's the number mm. thing that drives me nuts about social media. People will pull up something and say, oh, look at this guy. He looks mad. Have you ever played sports? Like, sports are emotional. Like, you know this as well as a former player. Swipe but Like, as players, there's times where we've been in heated moments on the sideline, you know, with a coach or with one of our teammates where we've just been visibly upset. Nobody reads into it the way that they do with NFL players. And I think it's a little, uh, I think it's a little off off base. I think it's a little short-sighted. Now, we do have a comment here before we move on to our next topic. It comes in from Mitch. Sean wants wide receivers that block every play. Jerry can block. Mm-hmm. Jerry can block. Cortland can block. KJ can block. They got some good dudes to block. Tim Patrick, you can make the argument, is their best blocking wide receiver. It's not necessarily about blocking every play, right? It's about being able to do it. And you know this as well as I do. Some of the best wide receivers in the league, and even guys like Justin Jefferson, they're not necessarily like the guys who are going to block every single play but they're going to run off a of DB because of the threat that, hey, this may be a pass play. We may not know. I'm, I'm locked in man-to-man coverage. He releases and gives me the sign that he's running a fade. I'm on his hit because I have to cover that dude. That's exactly what it is. So I don't necessarily think it's a narrative that, you know, hey, Jerry can't block. Jerry can block. He has done it on tape before. He's actually been a pretty damn good blocker as well. So I wanted to address that, but we also have some other topics we're going to bring up here on today's episode of the show. In, in terms of free agency, Swiper, we talked about it last week. Denver made some big splashes to improve some areas of need. In your opinion, do you think that they're done in NFL free agency at this point? Uh, no, but just to finish that, at Jerry point, did Jerry not go to Alabama? Was he not blocking for one of the best run games in the, in the NCAA? So, again, I think that's also a narrative that defeats itself. Um, but on top of this, are the Broncos done? You know what? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think they should be either. Again, Cody, they have been looking for wide receivers specifically since the start of free agency. They were in on multiple players. There's still players that are out there that potentially could come on board. I know, I think for, they need another corner as well. I think that will be really important for them to fortify that position. Um, again, you know, we'll have to see. I think there are some clear needs on this on this defense. Um, I think that they have a lot around them, obviously, with 
you know, everybody was hoping for CJ Gardner Johnson to fall in, but now it's going to be the Caden Stern show. And then again, you watch Caden Stearns, that dude can ball. He's a really good player. He's a great ball hawk, and he's a really, really, really efficient tackler as well. So they have a lot of strength, but I do think aiding Russell as much as possible by adding to that receiver game is going to be really important. Uh, and I would also say, too, again, depends on what they want to do with Lloyd Cushenberry, but look, the center option, if you have an opportunity to upgrade at that position, I think that they should because this is like an all-shifts-in, all-hands-on-deck year, and you want to make sure that Russell Wilson – while being anchored by Garrett Bowles and McGlinchey, that he has everything around him, including right in front of him at that center position as well. Where have we seen most of the pressure on a po- on Denver quarterbacks the last few seasons? It's been on the interior. It hasn't necessarily been on the outside. While there have been some guys that on you know, edge rushers have gotten home on the outside, mainly it's been defensive tackles, blitzing linebackers, safeties coming inside the A and the B gap to get after opposing quarterbacks, including Russell Wilson. We talked about it. Quarterbacks were sacked 63 times. Uh, you know, if you were a Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson was sacked 55 times. So ripping and only just two games in that standpoint was sacked that many times. Oof, that is is rough there. I, I agree with you. I think that with Denver looking at wide receivers, I even threw this out at milehighsports.com yesterday. Even though that Denver's looking at wide receivers, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're looking to get rid of any of their guys, right? Because as you mentioned, in each of the last three seasons, one of the Broncos' top four wide receivers have had a major injury, right? Cortland with the ACL in 2020. 2021, you know, you had Jerry Judy had the high ankle sprain that kept him out of action after week one. I mean, he was he was on a really great pace in that game against the Giants. He missed time. You lose K.J. Hamler two weeks later to an ACL and a hip injury. And then last season, the Tim Patrick injury. And then K.J., mm-hmm. you know, wasn't necessarily – K.J. came back way ahead of schedule, which, you know, I applaud him for. He's going to be 100% coming into training right. camp. But you've had a major injury to almost every one of your key guys at this point. I mean, even last year, Cortland missed some time with an injury. So the Broncos were sitting there in a situation like, hey, we're one injury away from having to rely on Jalen Virgil, who I I like. I think he's got some talent as an undrafted guy. He's got some true burner speed to him. But then there's also, you know, you have Brandon Johnson. You have, you know, yeah. you had Freddie Swain coming in at one point. When you're at the point where you have to rely on those guys, like there's an issue, right? So it's an insurance policy. You invested so much in Russell Wilson. You need to go out and you need to invest in giving him as many options as possible, guys who can contribute, which is why I threw out names maybe like Jarvis Landry. He's not, you're not bringing in a guy like that to be a world beater, to have over 1,000 yards you know, receiving or not even 10 touchdowns. But, heck, if he comes away three or four touchdowns, you know, moves the chains for you on third downs, a reliable outlet option, yeah, you take that any day. So right. if Denver has another injury, right, I mean, it's always possible. But if Denver has another injury, you at least have to have some insurance policies behind those guys. The loss of Tim Patrick last year was huge. I can't understate it enough. As Mitch says, I'm so excited to see Tim Patrick back out there. I mean, we all are. I, yeah. Like I, I always exercise caution, though. It could take some time, right? Because there is the mental process. As somebody who's gone through that myself and has played a receiver and corner, you think about everything. You think about you know pivoting. You, you think about your plant foot on slant routes, your in-cutting routes, out routes. I mean, all that stuff you factor in. It takes time, but Tim has been attacking rehab very, very, uh, very seriously. So I do expect him to make some more moves in free agency as well. Yeah, and again, uh, I think the, the position I'm most curious about, given we don't know what Javante Williams' status is, do you think that they're done at the running back spot? I mean, Samaji P. Ryan is a great player. Uh, I think he's going to be really crucial. And again, I'm not going to lie to you. If they have to roll out the first four to six games in a year because we're going to put, you know, Javante, say he goes to the PUP list or something like that. So he's out for over a month. So I would be comfortable with them rolling out with him 
But do you think that they need to add maybe some more depth and in particular some more young depth to that position? Yeah, I think I think it's always a good thing, right? You, there's Tyler Beatty on the roster whose first touch in the NFL went for a touchdown. That was a great moment to see. Obviously, a Mizzou guy. He and I had the same professor. We were talking about that in the locker room. Like that, you have Tyreek McAllister who signed to a futures contract. Who, you know, in my opinion, last year in training camp, I didn't feel like he I, he didn't really push the needle. Not even in the preseason, really for Denver. But to me, I agree. I think maybe you look at. Do you draft a running back with one of your third round picks next year? I mean, there's there's some mm. pretty talented backs in this year's NFL draft. We'll obviously talk about that as well. But I also think that maybe I wouldn't even be shocked at this point in one of the maybe stage three of NFL free agency where Latavius Murray signs maybe a one-year deal with Denver as well. I mean, the writing's kind of been on the wall with Sean Payton right. mentioning him in his opening press conference in terms of texting him, brought him on stage at the Super Bowl at the Pat McAfee show. I talked to Latavius in Phoenix for that, and he said, hey, you know, I'd love to return to Denver. You know, he wants to come back. He felt like the locker room really embraced him coming over from the Saints, and it was just a different culture and what he had been used to, and now with Sean Payton there, help helped solidify that. You can't go wrong with that with him and Samaj Pierre. I'm with you there, though. I would not want to rush Javante back, right? I don't think right. there's any pressure to rush him back, specifically coming off the major injury he had. Yeah, so I mean, we'll have to see about that. I, I think for me it's just – my the most important signing for me outside of Howard has been Mike McGlinchey because that right tackle position has been such an eyesore. And so I do think they need to add another swing tackle. Um, I think that's gonna be really important. Um, just to make sure they're fortifying that depth in case you gotta miss some time. Running back, wide receiver, right tackle, some really swing tackle. Uh, like I said, that secondary corner. I really am sure curious to see what they're gonna do. Do you think do you think that Mathis is gonna be the option there to roll out to start the year? I do at this point, uh, you know, George Payton sat down with uh, a couple of media guys at, in the, at the NFL scouting combine and said that they view him as a starting corner in the NFL. I, I think he exceeded for a guy who was a fourth round pick. He exceeded all sure. expectations. You know, he played a predominantly man to man press cover style at Pitt. played a little bit more off man last year, but Denver's, you know, they played a lot more cover three, uh, you know, last season. And they're going to do that. I think with Vance Joseph a little bit more so than they have. This upcoming season, it's all about keeping everything in front of you, rallying short, you know, once it's thrown short. Yeah. I like Mathis there, but I mean, it is a gamble, right? You have Sertan, who's an absolute stud. You're going to probably look to lock him up here in a, you know, a year or two in terms of a long term deal. Mathis is a guy that you're really banking on. Hey, can he come in and fulfill that production and be a starter in the NFL? I think he had a sample size that proved that he could do it. Can he stack on that? I still think you have to invest in maybe a veteran guy, bringing in veteran competition. It doesn't hurt for a young guy like Mathis in, in terms of saying, hey, we believe in you, but we want you to be able to prove it. Right. Whew. Yeah. I mean, wow. yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of pressure because now you've got a first team all pro player on the other side that legitimately might be the best man in man quarter in football right now, depending on where you And they're not going to throw his way hardly. Right, right, right. Yeah, again, depending on where you are with Jair Alexander and then where you are, Xavier Howard. I mean, it's just – and obviously Sauce Gardner too, but – or Woolen because there's there's actually some good young cats He's in the good. league right now. Yeah, you know, Sertan's going to – you're going to get a lot of business on the other side of the field. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too is you want – he wants reps. He wants quarterbacks to test him. Um, You know, he, but he likes having opportunities to make play on football. He had a couple moments last year where it's like, okay, hey – you know, he he got got a couple of times. I think that's right. good, though. I think everyone's like, oh, you know, he, he's been such a shutdown corner. You know, you give up one or two. It's like, okay, wow, they shouldn't. You saw, like, the local talking heads. Oh, they should have never drafted him. I hate that stuff, that recency. Like, oh, he had one bad game. That means, you know, they never should have taken him. 
can't stand that stuff. But speaking right. of like the draft and taking players, like, you know, the draft is just about a month away here and the Broncos we know aren't going to have a day one pick unless they make a major move to acquire capital. They're going to be picking 67, 68 here in your position, based on what Denver has done in free agency, what positions do you feel like they could take a strong look at with those third round picks? I mean, I don't necessarily think Denver at this point have, they don't have to go into the draft. They don't have to draft based on need. They can draft best on best player available. I think with the circumstances that they have currently sitting in front of them. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of torn on this. Um, I'm not super confident in their outside rushers right now, um, but we'll have to see, you know, how they fortify that. So I definitely think outside linebackers, a premium position they can be looking at now again, third round value. I mean, there are a few names there that you can look at, but again, I think getting past rushers now, again, no disrespect to Justin Houston because obviously he was not a first-round pick. But there are players you can find. But more often than not, it's, I think it's a little harder to find those guys uh, in the third round and beyond. So I think outside pass rusher, I think corner, finding a very good – again, if you can find like a, a starting-level slot corner or a starting-level secondary corner um, to be assigned, Patrick, I think that would be great. Running back, center. Um, I don't know, again, if there's some players that the Denver Broncos are looking at, in particular the affordable positions. Again, I think they could go across the board. Do you want to stack talent or do you want to cover needs? And based on that answer, there actually are a few guys they could be looking at come draft time. I'm excited to see because George Payton has expressed himself that, you know, hey, like having uh, picks in the, kind of the top five of the the third round, like that's premium. He said that's premium. Mm -hmm. Like the the first round, the second round, they're, they're luxury picks overall for a lot of teams. So they don't have that this year, but they will have those third round picks, which they have the options. And I think they have the opportunity as well to do some things for me. It, it, it's, can you maximize talent around you? Like does Denver look at another tight end, like a receiving option because you have Albert Okuebunam, you have Greg Dulcich, Greg Dulcich, you know, in his first year was hampered by two hamstring injuries. Albert O was in the last year of his contract. I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to make the active roster. You sign Chris Manhurts. Do you maybe look at bringing in a guy who has a skill set that you could fit behind a Dulcich in the event something were to happen? These mm -hmm. are things that I'm looking at. You know, maybe even we've seen George Payton as well in the fifth round almost every year since he's been GM. Take a, take a safety. Do they do that as well? You know, you re-sign P.J. Locke, which is good. I like that for special teams. I think he can have an elevated role on defense, but now – you have a chance to see Justin Simmons, Caden Stern starting there. So that's not necessarily a huge position need, in my opinion. I do have a question, though, maybe about interior defensive linemen. Like, we don't know. Like, what are the Broncos doing a defensive end opposite of Zach Allen? Do they believe right. that Iyoma Uazarike or Matt Henningsen are going to be ready for that job to start in their second seasons? I thought they did a good job in spurts last year. But, you know, you had Deshaun Williams, who had pretty impressive production value for where he was at. Draymond Jones, you lose both those guys. You have Allen. And then you have Mike Purcell, who's you know kind of coming on the back end of his contract. Mm -hmm. You just have DJ Jones, who had some injury history last year. Do you look at interior defensive linemen? I mean, to me, these are some these are some big questions that I have. I mean, they could so solidify that in a free free agency steal, but with five draft picks in this year's draft, their right. options are kind of limited, and that's where the dilemma is about them maybe trading a player. I'm on the belief personally of saying like, hey. Denver can get through this year, in my opinion, without having a first or second round draft pick. They can make their hay with some of the moves that they've made, some of the guys they've already had on the roster. They have a first round pick next year. Yeah. I have a question on a particular player, though. Yes. Do you have any insight on what you think about how BJ, uh, BJ, uh, I think Alojuari is how you say his name. How do you feel like he would fit on the roster this next year mm. from LSU? 
That's a great question. Uh, you want, you know, for LSU, I think every, the optics of them, like everybody's kind yeah. of taken a step back since they had the Joe Burrows and Lloyd Cushman yeah. played really well that year. You know, they had a dog squad there. Um, yeah. You know, I think it really just depends on if Denver feels like they have the value where he could step in and play right away. I mean, he's a right. talented player. There's the connection there. I think that George Payton, I think the scouts, like even Brian Stark, they have some really great connections around mm -hmm. the league. We've seen that. They've invested in the LSU product before. Kerry Vincent Jr. was even another option that they looked at even a couple of years ago, and he ended up they traded him to the Philadelphia Eagles. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough to say right now because what what is this team going to look like from a right. identity standpoint with Sean Payton? You know, I know one thing that Payton wants is he wants tough players. He wants guys who can put their head down and just move forward. Ojolari is one of those guys. Yeah, and again, you know, he's actually been one of my favorite players to kind of look at in the draft as of recent. I think especially just as the momentum has kind of picked up um, and then kind of just looking at the pass rushing scene across the board. Um, I think a player like that would fit really well. Again, there are some other players that we'll have to see if we get closer to draft that I think we'll talk about specifically. Um, but again, you know, if I'm trying to optimize some premium positions in the third round, I really want to take some flyers on some talent um, and see what they can actually do and make that work. So, I mean, we'll – We'll have to see. I mean, there's going to be a lot of names we'll talk about over the next month or so. Well, even the thing, too, with Ojalari, he could play edge rusher. And, and you know, right. he's a project guy. And, and I think the thing that stands out, and I always encourage Broncos fans to look at this, I look at a lot of their draft picks with George Payton. I'm a huge RAS guy, relative athletic score. George Payton has gone for guys who have elite RAS scores. Aaron right. Browning has a freakish Aaron. RAS score as well. Randy Gregory, freakish RAS score. So, um, I, I think those indexes are super important. And obviously for him, he's for a guy who's 250 pounds can move the way yeah. he does. It's important. It's important to be able to utilize guys like that in the NFL. Everybody's looking for like guys who can make that transition. Right? I think everyone's trying to compare everybody to Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons mm -hmm. is a little bit of a unicorn, but it's like the guys who have that high athletic trait, the ability to bend like the even Hassan Reddick's and mm. the Baron Browning qualifies under the status. Can you find another guy, develop him, and put him at that position? Because if you can keep contain, but you can also beat some of the slower offensive linemen in the league, you're going to eat as an outside guy. So I I'm with you. I, I think that would be an, an exciting prospect to watch for as well in the NFL draft. But Swiper, I I'm excited about this. And, folks, we always encourage you, the Broncos Blitz podcast. You can catch it at milehighsports.com. You can find it on your favorite audio podcasting platform. You're going to get this show as well on YouTube. We're just doing some special offseason episodes right now as the Broncos continue to navigate through free agency. The NFL draft is upcoming, and we're going to have you covered every step of the way. Swiper, myself, Cody Rourke here, the Broncos Blitz, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network.